Hello, Earthlings. My name is Andrea Afua Welcome to The Only Black Girl on Mars, a podcast where we shine a spotlight on strong Black women who are shaping the world through their diverse strengths, paired with their unique perspectives and experiences. Hello, and welcome back to Mars. I am so excited to share this episode with you. I interviewed Lauren Nwangpa, who is the head of social impact currently at Dave, a startup financial app that is out to help individuals and really put the power back into the purchaser. And Lauren used to be the head of social impact at Headspace, which is a favorite meditation app to many across the nation. And she is here with me relaying a message of authenticity and really a clear vision for what her hope for social impact, not only in the tech industry, but across the board um, in terms of empowering disenfranchised groups can really feel empowered to have um, a space in whatever industry they hope to be in. And I will say this has been one of the most poignant and engaging interviews. She really made my job very easy for me with all of her insights. And I hope that you get the most out of it the same way that I did. Enjoy. The Only Black Girl on Mars is an independently produced podcast, so please click the dollar sign in order to support us on Patreon or head to patreon.com slash blackgirlonmars underscore. Can I see your sweatshirt? Yes. (laughs) Black don't crack. I love it. I have to like pull on like sweats. I don't have the pants on, but I also have matching pants. And then I also have a matching hat. So I have like full auntie when I like, and it's like my go-to uniform. And I'm obsessed. Where did you get that from? (laughs) um, This woman, she like started this brand and she has a stand at the uh, Culver City Westfield Mall. Oh, okay. Olive Garden. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of like merch and you can buy it. And I'm obsessed with her. And I (laughs) and people always like are like, oh, I know where that is. Or like they'll like like, yes. That's cool. Um, do you have any like I have these I'm starting to get like white ally followers who keep sending me like African style clothes or like um I don't know, like posts about Africa, and I'm like, I don't know what to respond or not to respond. So, I like, thank you. You know, I haven't been getting a lot of unsolicited uh, things from folks, but I have been getting a lot of like, thank you so much for sharing this, and oh, thank mm. you so much for, you know, and that sort of thing. So, they're teaching me. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> whatever um but so hope and I'm hoping that's because I've I've done a like over the last like 10 years or so I've like Mm. really carefully curated not only my like social media kind of like right like just my own personal friend groups and yeah people people know to like 
not lay their burdens at my feet. <laughs> you know, right, like, right, right. Like, yeah. You know, so not to say that your friends don't, but you know what I mean? Like people are like, <laughs> no, I understand what you're saying. I think it, they might be doing it for their other black friends, but they know not to do it. <laughs> right. And I, I think that that is absolutely fair because I was having a conversation with my one very close friend who, you know, like I recently I've been having, I, I posted something posing the question of like, okay, when, when kids are cited for, you know, now that everything is on social media and kids are cited for spouting um, racist sentiment and they're having their <clears throat> admissions um, rescinded, mm -hmm. is there, I was just posed like playing devil's advocate. Mm -hmm. Is there an alternative method where they're given an ultimatum of like mm -hmm. of an educational track where they have to take like mm -hmm. black American studies or, or something like that? Um, and they have the option of choosing that along with their admission or they won't get it. And then, you know, like we were, we were sort of debating it and I was like, am I too idealistic? Like, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, not, not to say I don't believe in my own idea, but it just, you know, when you, you hear like people's ar arguments and, and the anger, like it is the, because there are, are people who will change at that age and there are others who just won't. who won't. So, um, so yeah. it's just interesting. So, so I think I, I bring that up to say where I definitely am in the, in the place where I'm trying to figure out yeah. setting those boundaries because people know me as the person that's going to be like, oh yeah, she's going to at least engage to like right. have, have a conversation. And I'm realizing like, yeah, I don't have, have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> I got time for that. Like, like I care, but I'm also like, yeah, I have to keep keep it moving a little right. bit. <laughs> and there, but there are people whose that's their life work to engage with that stuff. Yeah. And they hopefully get paid for it. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think, um, yeah, I, I tend to, I definitely have to check myself probably on a weekly basis and be like. Mm -hmm what is my role in all of this? Like, and, and mm -hmm. to what extent do I engage, you know? And, right. and that's with, with a lot of folks. Like, I just like, I, I'm not going to be sitting here debating my humanity with anybody. Mm -hmm. I'm not sitting here debating, you know, the humanity of, you know, black trans women with anybody. Like, I'm, I'm not going to like sit mm -hmm. here. If this isn't a thought experiment, you know, for right. so many people. So I can't like, and you know, and that comes from, you know, I come from like the University of Chicago, which has like such a tradition in discourse and mm -hmm. and, you know, being able to engage, you know, um, in these types of conversations from a, you know, highly intellectual standpoint, but like, mm -hmm. there's a certain extent to which you can't just be intellectualizing, you know, people's lived experiences or their humanity. It just like, right. that's not even the baseline. And there's, there's different criteria in, in seeing how the different ways in which people, um, you know, uh, believe in someone else's humanity, you know, and, and right. kind of like engaging you being like kind of the theoretical you or engaging in being that person who wants to just find the flaws in someone's lived experience. Like that right. can't be it. Like it just right, right, right. can't be it. So I was just saying to your other point about, you know, the idealism that comes with hoping that people would have sense enough to, to, to educate themselves about, mm. you know, the experiences of folks that are more marginalized or oppressed than them. It's, it's, you know, it doesn't take a 
degree in African-American studies or black studies or diasporic studies to understand like the realities of the world. Like you just right. have to have a, a dedication to like truth and right. like, history, you know, and like the, in real history, not the like whitewashed version that we're spoon fed in schools. And given that it's like, I think any rational person can see, you know, all the flaws in like, you know, our, our this, these constructs that we've, you know, been so invested in for so long, but. Right. Keyword rational. <laughs> rational. That's right. That's right. That's right. You know? And not everybody's rational. That was one of the biggest learnings of my adulthood. I was like, oh, <laughs> are irrational. Not everybody thinks like you, Lauren, and that's, that's not okay, but it's like, I can't have that expectation. <laughs> right. Right. And I realize in almost all of my white friendships, I am, I have been purposely muted. And that has been the difference. And now, and, and they are uncomfortable when they realize that I have a very clear opinion. It's not that I'm, it's not that I have just been sitting there mute, not thinking it, or that my opinion has changed. It's just that I've, I've vocalized it with confidence and since security and we're not expecting that at all so yeah it's wild it's wild too because yeah like and then that goes to the fact of like you know why like you know people in general mm -hmm. specifically are very intentional about who it is that they have around them and who mm -hmm. they think especially if those people are non-white people right. and there isn't there is like real calculus that happens to kind of discern whether or not you know, your blackness and however you're being, again, it's like whoever the, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. your black friend, the, specifically. The grandeur. <laughs> your blackness is palatable and comfortable for them. And mm. they take what are quite frankly, coping mechanisms of ours in terms of like, you know, for like, for, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but for myself, like those moments of being mute or not saying anything or not ruffling feathers, there are, there are coping mechanisms, there's safety mechanisms because right. you literally don't know when someone can turn into a Karen, like at the, <laughs> the drop of a hat, whether they've been your friend for 20 years or not. Right. So they're, if they're taking advantage of, and they don't even recognize those dynamics at play. And so the second that, you know, those dynamics are kind of disrupted, it just, it blows their mind. I was right. just in a conversation today, this morning, on my uh, walk with a good friend of mine. And we were talking about the same thing. We were like, how is it that in any uh, professional experience that we've had where, where someone kind of off bat didn't respect us, we've had to like basically like drag them. And then then they like, you know, they like garnered this respect for us or whatever. Right, right. Take all that, like just like, and so anyway, all that to say that, yeah, it's very, it's very fascinating. And, and think about, I mean, beyond that, you know, can't justify the the additional ten dollars it's like mm. how dare you like you have all this at, like there's so much additional privilege you're negotiating ten dollars meanwhile and 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 what's not informing those negotiations i'm sure and i'm not in order for that to be ten dollars cheaper someone is not getting paid what they should be getting paid or these products are made with like you know, damn near slave labor, or, you know, someone is being exploited and so which people have to really investigate how they're complicit, you know, right. systems. and like how you're not only disrupting the status quo by, by patronizing a black business, but you're also disrupting these like deeply problematic systems that allow for, 
primarily white people in the business space to be able to like profit off of like exploitation. So right. just, a lot of folks don't have the range, like a lot right. don't have the range and they're not ready and they don't have like, I mean, these are conversations that I've been having at, you know, game nights with my friends for year, for forever. You know, these mm -hmm. are conversations that I've been having with family at Thanksgiving dinner tables forever about how, you know, deeply ingrained this stuff is in our daily lives. And for people just to now be starting to, you know, scratch the surface, it's like right. folks are over here on, you know, astrophysics and then, you know, folks are on, you know, great math. I've <laughs> <laughs> had a long way to go. Get to a place where you're, you know, even anyway. So. I, I just imagined, you know, how they, how they're um, like really pushing all these like anti-racism, like children's books, I just imagine sort of like the parents reading it to their kid and being like, I didn't know that. I know, <laughs> like, hurting at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I could, I, I wish I, I wish I could talk about that more because I could, it could be a whole podcast episode. Whole but, podcast. We'll, we'll put the switch. I'll, I'll interview you for my <laughs> podcast. Yes, you should have a podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I feel like what you were mentioning about, you know, disenfranchised systems and uh, and just the fact that people are not really considering the impact of how social dynamics affect their wealth building as well, mm -hmm. um, really ties into what you do every day. Um, yeah. And so you have, you know, an impressive background as uh, previously being an entrepreneur, the former head of social impact, at Headspace and now at Dave. And um, and I sort of wanted to give you an opportunity to uh, sort of talk about why that is such, first of all, what social impact is for the people listening, um, because I'll admit that I was a little bit ignorant to the true meaning before we spoke um, and, and why it's so important for us to sort of um, to think about and, and consider yeah, no, certainly. And um, I promise I'm like looking at you, but I also jotted down some notes. So <laughs> all good, all good. <laughs> looking over to the left, that's why. Um, uh, no, I mean, I think, you know, my understanding of social impact, and this is kind of both informed by some of the kind of like academic thought that's come out of, you know, schools of business and economists and folks who are kind of really under trying to understand how to kind of build a new uh economy for, you know, even, you know, post COVID at this point, like what does, what does the future look like and what should it look like? Um, it's, you know, minors and, and also like informed by like my, uh, real lived experiences of, of what, you know, what the private sector can be doing that's better and, and certainly better than the status quo. Um, but as I define it, you know, I look at social impact as basically like any effort kind of through the core business practices or the core product or the core services that a, a business is delivering um, that's actually trying to solve for kind of a larger, more complex social problem. And so what makes it different from kind of traditional conceptions of corporate social responsibility is that it's like inherently much more strategic. It's mm. much more baked into the DNA of the company. Um, 
it's much more scalable. Um, and it really begs the questions of things like, you know, what does customer centricity really look like? And, you know, how do we acknowledge um, a much more vast array of stakeholders than just our shareholders? Or, you know, what, um, you know, how do we fundamentally kind of disrupt this, what's, what's uh, thought to be this inherent tension between kind of profit and purpose, which I don't believe has to be true. Mm -hmm. um, and so it really kind of grounds us in a space um, that demands that we look at how our companies are really solving real problems for real people. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the most important and exciting things about kind of what it looks like this to, you know, today and, and for, for sure moving forward is that we actually can center audiences and people and consumers that have been traditionally either preyed upon or left behind or not deemed you know viable consumers or important enough to like build products for Mm -hmm. And as we know, um, and a lot of kind of, um, you know, uh, radical political thought, when we think about solving for the most harmed or the most oppressed or the most marginalized, that that inherently allows us to um, uh, impact everybody. You know, every if you're if you're creating space and you're 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 lifting up that floor, you're everyone benefits. And so when we think about um, product inclusion and, and really building a much more equitable society impact allows us to kind of have that lens of what are we actually solving for through the core functions of our business, as opposed to an afterthought, um, of, you know, writing a check after we've gotten, uh, all this money through potentially ill-gotten means, you know, and trying to kind of mitigate against, uh, you know, some of the harm that, you know, the, the private sector has caused. And so, um, and is that That's, the main difference between CSR, you would say? I would say. And I, you know, I tend to probably, uh, and I have a lot of amazing friends in CSR. Mm -hmm. and, but yes, I, I do think that that's kind of a core differentiator between kind of traditional corporate social responsibility, which can tend to be very siloed, be kind of marketing driven, um, definitely like a, a much more around kind of the rhetoric or the kind of, you know, narrative of doing good and giving back without really investigating what your company is doing to, mm -hmm. um, to really solve a problem as opposed to kind of it being an afterthought. Right. Um, yeah. I think it was interesting, um, sort of what you said about shifting the focus onto those who are being preyed upon, because that's similar to kind of how they've started, right? They wanted individuals to not have, to not get those hidden fees or not um, overdraft and things like that. And was that something where you felt like they were genuine enough that you would want to represent them? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Thankfully, um, I was at a point at my, I am at a point in my career where I could be way more discerning about, you know, the mm -hmm. types of companies I wanted to work for and the types of brands that I wanted to associate myself with. And, you know, I hadn't seen in a really long time, um, certainly not at the scale or the, you know, the, the potential for scale that a type of business like Dave is, um, you know, a leadership team, a founding team that was so unapologetic about mm. who that they were truly building for mm -hmm. um, and, and saying it flat out, you know, and I was like, wow, this is amazing, you know, and um, when you think about equity and access, you have to think about how systems really been predatory and harming folks and why. Right. And so I think it allows a company like Dave to you know, really focus on how it can specifically kind of shift the narrative around people's relationship to their banking institutions, really bring folks uh, who've 
you know, might quite frankly might not have ever had kind of financial peace of mind or have, you know, been very much in a space of financial precarity for a good portion of their lives for all these reasons, externalities that are informing you know, their access to capital, whether financial or social, um, mm -hmm. that, that uh, you know, informs their kind of everyday lives. And so we can be thinking about how do we actually center the real needs of those folks, build a really awesome product that's not expensive. Like, you right. know, you know, banking is such a incredible tool and we know um, it's the most expensive thing to be broke. You know, it's, it's really expensive to be <laughs> it's broke. True. It's true. And when you think about how many billions of dollars, you know, traditional banks are making off the back of a fraction of their customers, you know, um, these are the, these are the folks that are most vulnerable to, you know, financial, uh, you know, precarities. And they're also being just drained dry by these banks because, right. you know, um, they're, you know, more susceptible to kind of um, some, in, you know, income volatility. And so, it's, it's really interesting to kind of um, build a business on doing right by people, you right, know, and, right. and proving out that that is better than the status quo. I've never understood why, why it made sense that the less you have, the more penalized you are, ensuring that you continue to have less. And many people don't understand that. I know when we first met, we talked about loans and yeah. I myself, like I've, I've at some point fallen into the trap of an unsecured loan in an attempt to like pay another. Yeah, loan you're and Peter to pay Paul. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, not, and not understanding that, you know, like if you don't know all the details of how you can navigate these laws and let's not even get into like who made FICO and what they were thinking, but like, you right. know. <laughs> for another podcast, that's for another day. <laughs> and I looked into Dave's background and now I understand that it, it represents David and Goliath which you know yeah. like at first you just thought that was the bear's name but <laughs> it's also the bear's name <laughs> um, but I think one thing that really excites me is the fact that you know like you're in a head position um in a tech company uh, mm -hmm. as, a, as a black woman like yeah. and anyone that's listening like do a little <laughs> cheer like rah rah like because Aww. honestly um as we know, there are only really about 3% of Black yeah. women in the tech industry. And, and that's just holding space across the board, not even yeah. in leadership roles. Yeah. And, and so your background is, you know, prior to um, going to grad school was mm -hmm. in non nonprofit. So mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about how you made that, that transition and, and yeah. why it was so important for you to sort of like use uh, tech and startup as the avenue to promote change? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, you know, for a little bit of context, and I, I chuckle when I say this, and I think I might have mentioned it in an early conversation that we had, but I am like, I'm a product of the recession. You know, I graduated college in 2009, which was the second worst year to graduate in college mm. um, in the last, you know, decade or so. And um, it was, I mean, every single thing that everyone had told me up until that point um, that was very much informed by kind of these sensibilities or norms of like my parents' generation, whether it's like, you know, the boomer generation or the Gen X generation of, you know, just go to school, get really good grades, you know, graduate from the, you know, the, the best university you can and the world is your oyster. And then right. I graduated and I was like, well, where are the oysters? Like, <laughs> this, you know, and it was, you know, of course we couldn't, um, 
you know, we knew the precarity of like, you know, the housing market and all that kind of stuff. But we, we at least I personally, or, you know, my parents and friends close to me just could not have imagined just like how bleak it would really be. Mm-hmm. And so I did find myself in the nonprofit um, industry because I'd always been driven to kind of social justice. I've always been driven to social change. And quite frankly, I just didn't have any other understanding of where to do that work. I knew I didn't want to be in the public sector. I didn't want to get involved with government. Um, and I just didn't even know that the private sector, that, that there was space in the private sector to be doing good. I just assumed that, you know, everything was just trash. And, you know, just out <laughs> money. and I, I had no conception of like, you know, what it would be like to build, you know, better businesses. And so I started off in the nonprofit space, um, kind of working with organizations uh, in proximity to kind of the education space. And um, yeah, it was just very kind of like quickly uh, became pretty disillusioned in space. One, because I wasn't able to really grow and scale and resource the kind of programs that I was building. I was constantly begging for money. You're constantly at the whim of, you know, the sentiments of, you know, wealthy, high net worth individuals or foundations. And so it's just a very fickle space. And while there's excellent, excellent work being done in the nonprofit sector, we cannot put all of our eggs in that basket to solve all of our social ills, especially given that the private sector sometimes is very much a uh, contributor um, to those kind of like uh, social ills and inequities and, um, you know, all the things that we're looking to solve for. So it's like, how is it that we're, we're putting all of our baskets into this, you know, really, um, you know, not very well resourced sector to solve for, you know, these large glaring problems. Um, so anyway, so I, I, I really wanted to, I, and I, I, quite frankly, I never thought that I would be in tech because I didn't have, um, I, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be an engineer. I knew that I wasn't very technical. <laughs> and so I, I didn't even know that there were like spaces in the tech space for non-technical <laughs> people. And of course, like, like, why wouldn't there be like, of course, there's HR departments and accounting departments and marketing and all that stuff. But I just, I, that just goes to show just like how removed from everything right. I really, really was. And I certainly wasn't seeing, you know, I just didn't, there wasn't, I didn't see like other women that looked like me that were like going into that sector. And um, because I was so removed from it, I just, I had no idea. And so- right. Um, but you know, I do think that going to business school allowed me to, uh, with the intentions of kind of like staying on an entrepreneurial path, really opened my eyes to the parts of the private sector that were committed to, uh, at least trying to build these different business models that took way more, um, uh, factors into consideration, quite frankly, right. so weren't just running after shareholder value. Um, they were thinking about a much broader sense of who are our stakeholders? Who do they, who, how are we, you know, delivering for them? Who are our customers? Who are our employees? What environmental kind of impact are we having? Um, how are we good corporate citizens? Like folks right. are really starting to think about how they could leverage the resources and the talent and the capital, quite frankly, in the private sector to, to do better. Um, and there was, it was picking up a lot of traction. So I was like, whoa, this nice. is cool. And I can pay off my student loans. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> I'm like, let me take my chances over here. And I was like, if worst comes to worst, I can always go back to the nonprofit sector, you know? Yeah. And um, that definitely takes uh, the ability and the mind to see the bigger picture. So sort of sure. like seeing how, like the whole 
behemoth connects yeah. to to everything yeah. else. And yeah. you know, as you were describing, it made sense that you know, as much as nonprofit is invaluable in many mm-hmm. many ways, I do see it as some. Usually, nonprofits are very specific to like yeah. certain pockets of what's considered assistance. Yeah. And and as you were describing, it's sort of like using the muscle, so to speak, mm-hmm. of of a of a different arena because I feel like people see nonprofit workers as martyrs when it's like they're doing the same work but it it is sort of um given a different weight I suppose so to speak is it possible to give us an example of like a type of project that you that Mm -hmm. the social impact team does whether it's it was during your time at Headspace or or at Dave now yeah so I think one thing I'd I'd love to kind of clarify is Mm -hmm. that, you know, social impact shouldn't be kind of a one size fits all approach. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it really does beg the question of what is your specific company doing or can do to kind of solve a particular problem. So what I was doing at Headspace inherently was going to have to look different than what I'm, you know, hoping to do and doing right now at Dave. And um, otherwise it's like, that just doesn't make sense. You know, (laughs) like, um, (laughs) but that's not to say that there aren't these kind of threads of frameworks or, just lenses or understandings of how just the world works that you can apply to any sector. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my thinking is like, you know, I came into Dave um, without any FinTech background, without any background in finance. Like I don't like math. So I'm just like, I, my only relationship to the, you know, the, the financial sector is as the consumer of, you know, bank products and, and the like. And so I really had to understand like what, what actually was going on in the space. And I had to have a deep understanding of the product. And what I realized is that, you know, we have, and, and, and quite frankly, one of the criteria, two of the criteria actually that I was looking for and what types of company that I wanted to work for are that they had to be kind of, you know, explicitly mission driven okay. and they had to have a really amazing um, inherently impactful product because mm-hmm. then I can like, I can, I can work with that. You know, we can figure some things out. We can build some frameworks around that and we can operationalize impact from there. But at Dave specifically, um, one thing that I acknowledged very early on, and I think this is this is a shared understanding across the board, is that you know the reality is we do uh, we are based in Los Angeles, so we're kind of in the thick of like what's known as like Silicon Beach, mm-hmm. um, and there while there's a lot of amazing interesting things that are happening there that I think separate it from kind of the the culture up in the Bay in terms of Silicon Valley, there's a lot of the same old stuff. You know, there's it's yeah. still very much a good old boys club. It's still very much, you know, obviously we're having all these conversations about, you know, who gets capital to even start businesses, what these founders look like, what types of teams they're building. Um, and quite frankly, you know, how they are building products or not that really actually uh, solve for real problems for real people. And so as I was thinking about, you know, we have this huge opportunity to solve for, or at least contribute to the solution towards, you know, uh, inequitable access to uh, affordable, easy to use, transparent bank products, and 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 the the life the life and financial health that comes from that. Um, but we are situated in a space, um, you know, in the context of being very well funded, uh, very much, you know, um, everyone that works at the, you know, most people that work at the company are, you know. Uh, 
are doing really well for themselves. Some of them are coming from other companies that had IPO, you know, so like no one is really checking their bank account, like the right. way I used to, I used to, and still do quite frankly, when I was right. broke, you know, and so we have to really drive that empathy and we have to operationalize that and we have to hold ourselves accountable um, to make sure that we don't ever lose that, especially as we grow and scale. So to answer your question in a really long roundabout way, um, one of the things I really kind of set out to do was understand how do we do that? How do we build and bake in organic and authentic uh, space to make sure that we're consistently keeping our finger on the pulse of what's going on with our real customers? And it really takes, and, and I say that because it's literally happening in real time. Right, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> um, this is both speculative and happening in real life. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so we had to think about, you know, where does our DEI kind of strategy come into that in terms of like building a really inclusive place where feel, people feel that they belong, folks that have, you know, amazing backgrounds and perspectives can inform our product, which then grounds it in much more relevance and context for our customers, making sure our team looks like the rest of the world, making sure we have like real um, policies and practices in place that like just inherently allow us to create space to continue to engage with each other from a thoughtful and empathetic way. And then also make sure that that translates to our product development processes. And so there's DEI, there's like people operations, there's UX and design research that comes with that. That's our, you know, product design strategy that has to be a part of those conversations. Um, And then how do we talk about it? And how do we, you know, from a PR and comms and um, a metrics reporting standpoint. So that's just one example of how impact as a lens can be used to inform so many facets of the business to drive a really important business need. Because if we don't have that empathy, we're not going to build a great product and then our customers will leave you know and then that's just the the basis of it um so i hope that's i hope that's a specific enough example i know it's not like people are always expecting me to be like we built a financial literacy program (laughs) no it has to be deeper than that that's that's certainly you know part of the conversations about how we can be relevant in terms of like our contribution to the space but we have to be really really strategic about um how this informs everything I actually do appreciate that that answer because um, I'll I'll dip into a small anecdote of my my last agency that I worked at. Um, it was very lacking in diversity, I'll say. Um, and my surprise. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, only um, so I've been in marketing for seven years um, now since retired to focus on diversity and inclusion. And so I've been on pitches before for video games. I am interested in craft beer. I don't drink a lot, but like I, I know about it. I, I'm a musician. So basically I could be put on pitches in many different uh, topics, mm-hmm. but the only pitch in mm. almost 10 months that I was put on was for a school that was an online school that was primarily geared towards nurses, nurse practitioners. So, and primarily in that world is filled with black women yeah. who, who are working and taking care of children mm-hmm. and they may already have a degree. So, and in terms of the age demographic, it just, I fit in it apart from having kids, you know, like I was the demo. So that was a project that I was assigned to. Wow. And it was a project that they didn't even have pitched to them. It was a relationship with, mm. uh, with one of the partners for the company that brought this company in. 
So as a, as a researcher and a strategist, um, you know, I went and did my due diligence while I was, while I was writing this brief. And I found that they're on like a government watch list for targeting black individuals. And they often are kept in these programs. And cause it's like a, you study on your own time. They basically won't pass them and they keep paying and they keep paying cause they're oh. only a few credits away. So I wrote a memorandum for founders of, our, of my former company and all of this pressure was put on me. And, and it was oh like, God. are you saying that we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't get this piece of business? And that is so much pressure, A, to put on one strategist, the only Black person that's on this team that you're putting on in order to sort of save face because mm. that is your target brief. And as you were, as you were describing sort of like the, the depth and breadth of what social impact should be, I, as, I, as you said, I was like, they need that in, in every small company that really honestly doesn't know what they're doing because anyone can be an entrepreneur which is not not saying that's a bad thing but it doesn't mean that you know how to to navigate different audiences which is why you hire people to give you advice hence the memorandum that was essentially ignored so um so it's just to me that's interesting because i don't think you know as we continue to dig deeper into social impact I think that this is good that more people can learn about it because I don't yeah. think it's something that is being discussed. People think DNI, let's mm-hmm. put a few black people here and there right. and we've done our due diligence. Like, no, it's about seeing how your company can truly understand the yeah. influence and impact on people who have different yeah. life circumstances and have different behaviors and yeah. so that we can accommodate them and they will in turn reward us yep. their money. Yeah. <laughs> right. Pay me what you owe me. Brianna. Um, no, I mean, that's, that's it. It's it because that, that one anecdote is so illustrative of just everything you know it goes to the representation factor it goes to the you know the feeling of belonging the you know how like the feeling of being valued the feeling of you know like yeah i i have so many and i think that's 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 what folks who have traditionally been marginalized oppressed left behind preyed upon you know in any society or system people are just asking to just be able to live in the mm-hmm. full and most like, you know, you know, we are full complex, interesting human beings with an array of interests that are, are informed by our social locations and the, 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 you know, all the intersecting identities that make us up, but also just like, other shit that has nothing to do with that. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. You know, like I should not just be talking about diversity and equity and inclusion. I think that's what's been a way to get into the door of tech because I was armed um, with this kind of knowledge and theory that like, you know, something isn't right here. And like, if we really just take a second to really to think about all the different ways that we can be building better businesses and building better products, which include actually seeing humans as full complex beings, um, which then lends you to allow them to, you know, given the fact that we're 
operating within a capitalist uh, society, <laughs> then you can see them as valuable consumers. And that actually, you know, disrupts this idea that you're constantly kind of exploiting people or just kind of squeezing the last little bit of, you know, coins out of them and, and really kind of setting yourself up for like to truly have a, a truly participatory and truly thriving economy. And so it's just like, I, that to me, it's like, why wouldn't we want that? Like, why wouldn't we want that? Why isn't that the like goal? Right. Um, and so, but you're absolutely right. It's, it's, you know, and it just, it, there's, there's so many layers to it. it it's, it's really uh, a mess. And I, I think, you know, folks have been preaching this stuff for forever of, you know, building better products, you know, solving for the challenges of the most impacted and most marginalized, um, thinking about what, role and responsibility, the private sector, um, or, you know, specifically the tech sector, or even more specifically the fintech sector, you know, kind of, no matter where you're at, has, and, and being explicit about that and acknowledging these, you know, externalities that very much inform, you know, everything, every single facet of our lives. Um, and you're absolutely right. It's, that's a lot of pressure to put on, you know, one analyst. And if you had a much more you know, robustly diverse team that felt empowered to speak up about things and um, had other colleagues that, you know, they can rely on each other to kind of make these cases. It just becomes that much easier to actually be um, moving in the right direction. So you're not constantly sacrificing, you know, morals and, um, you know, values for a check, you know, from a company that is like probably is very problematic. Right. Uh, Yeah. I mean, No, I mean, it's true because I, it's, these are the types of circumstances that really help you understand how deep seated fear is. Like, I think we've all been trained to think that, um, like, ethics or personal ethics are meant to be like kept out of business. And, you know, like one of the things that was always said to me was, it's about the work. And, and, and for me as, as a person who like, I, I do see myself as an as an empath. I didn't see a difference in in that statement for what I was the things that I was trying to bring up. I mean, you you mentioned catering to certain communities, so I do want to talk about your time as an entrepreneur because it makes me excited. But but before asking about that, to tie up this conversation about what you're building at Dave, and and tell me if it's too early to speak to it, but sort of what are you looking at in terms of projections to sort of show that you're seeing results, you know, down the line? Yeah. I mean, I think my, my personal kind of North star for any role, as long as I'm kind of working in house, um, and actually even when I'm working, you know, um, either consulting or advising startups as well, you know, my North star is getting to a place where I can, contribute to proving that building better businesses with these things in mind is better than the status quo. Cause mm-hmm. that's been the argument all along. It's like, well, you know, we can't, you know, I, I remember being at a company and um, I've only worked at two companies in tech, so probably <laughs> deduce uh, what company I'm talking about, but like where like the leadership was like actually like scared to talk about or, you know, talk about the company being like a social enterprise, you know, because mm-hmm. they didn't want the connotation at the time. And I get it at the time of being like, well, that must mean that we're a nonprofit or that must mean that we're not sustainable or that must mean that we're not successful. And I'm like, no, it just means that you're like disrupting this tension between, you know, purpose or mission and, 
being successful and sustainable and that you're, you're solving for that, you know? And so I just think it's so uh, it's, so that's kind of my general North star. I think if Dave can, and I think we are truly looking to make sure that people's financial minds are at ease. And when you think about what that means for an entire community of people, generations of people who have not ever felt that, you know, I remember what it feels like. I mean, I'm, I'm like one foot out of like, you know, being very financially precarious, you know, mm-hmm. because of like generations of having to kind of start over again at square one each generation or not having that financial safety net of parents with a lot of wealth or any wealth, quite frankly, and being woefully in debt because of trying to get an education that's going to hopefully earn me the income to, you know, all these things. And so, you know, as I think about what it really truly means to help people get to a place of financial health and not just from a place of, you know, not just moving people from a place of financial precarity to financial, just like, you know, you know, just, you know, baseline zero, but like, how do you helping people along a path to really get them to experience the same amount of access and resources and freedom that comes with, you know, uh, financial health and financial freedom, you know, so it's just like, that is really impactful. And, and to do that by offering a product that allows them to have, you know, people have a at best, uh, an indifferent relationship with their banking institutions. And at worst, they're like, I hate it. And I'm never actually going to open a bank account because, you know, for all these reasons, they're predatory. I don't trust them. I'm going to keep my money in my mattress or I'm on documents. Fargo. Fargo. Okay, <laughs> call it out. And, um, you know, so we have all these people who are literally beyond, you know, outside of what should be a really amazing tool to continue to like, you know, grow financially, you know, and so unlocking and, and helping people have a positive experience with their banking institution um, at scale, that's crazy. Like it's, 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 it's almost, it sounds so like basic, but it is, it's incredibly impactful. It really is. And it begs the question of why do these institutions have to be so predatory and what is informing you know, these institutions to be that way and what ethics and values and perceived notions of, you know, these entire communities of people are driving them to be so exploitative and why does that have to be the case? And so if we're having those real questions that we're talking about within the four walls of our company and, and constantly trying to solve for some of those things and disrupt it at every single turn, like, that's huge. That's huge. And to be a part of that and to help inform that as a black woman in tech and who's consistently not to like pat myself on the back here, but like pat yourself on the back, girl. Uh, you know, but I'm constantly making sure that I am creating space for other black women. And I say black women explicitly because, you know, there have, there has been such a longstanding history of no one looking out for us. And I say black women, I say black women, femmes, um, anybody who identifies as being femme. And I think that's important to make a distinction to make too, because we have to recognize, um, we just have to recognize our complicity and we have to recognize all the way, places in which we have privilege. Mm-hmm. And so it's, as I continue to kind of carve space for myself where I'm getting more and more access to privilege and capital and a um, little bit of coins. Like I have, I feel like I have an obligation and a duty um, to create space for, for other folks coming right alongside me, right behind me. Um, and quite frankly, interestingly enough, sorry, this is going on a little bit of a No, no, no. Interestingly enough, also creating space for 
women who are my, you know, have been mentors of mine and, you know, professional capacities that are now looking to me for advice on how to be, how to show up more authentically because they come from a different generation and they come from a place of like, you know, you don't ruffle feathers. You don't ask too many questions. You take what you're given. You're grateful. Um, And they're like, wow, I never thought I'd see the day where there'd be so many young women that are just like shaking the table with like, without any, without losing any sleep over it. And so it's become this really awesome space that I find myself in. Um, So I'm able to like really do this interesting, impactful work in my day job, but also leverage that to be able to make, really huge strides in um, that representation, that access, that, um, you know, creating more space within, within this sector at the same time. I absolutely do love that, that intergenerationally, like that pride factors, as we realize we need to have more conversations about this, it's sort of going, I won't say it's gone out the window, but definitely um, those conversations with our elders or even, you know, and I've experienced talking to um, the generation below us, there's wisdom to go around. You know, yeah. there are things that I am always very honest. I cannot keep my thumb on the pulse of pop culture. I have a yeah. twin sister who does that for me. And yes. I'm just never going to be the first person to know what's on. I'm what not just, an early adopter. Right, exactly. <laughs> be a laggard. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this I'm was like, what's public. This? What's going on? Three days ago, what? Everyone's talking about it. (laughs) So I think, you know, like, especially with information and things being pumped out, like, I think that I absolutely agree with you, the benefit of us being able to have these open conversations and um, you're less than a year in, so there's, there's no pressure on the answer. I love, (laughs) I love that, that vision. Absolutely. One thing I, one last thing I'll say about that is, you know, not only am I kind of new to the role at Dave, but Dave Mm -hmm. itself is still in its infancy. Like it's still a very young company and it's so awesome to see. And, you know, it's so thoughtfully uh, led by our founders and they're really interested in making sure that we're, you know, building every single way we're being super thoughtful. Mm -hmm. And, And so when we think about, you know, we're still excited to kind of be building and testing and, you know, informing all of these kind of ideas around, you know, what are the levers that we can be doing to like disrupt right. and how do we do that well? And how do we ground that in data? How do we ground that in our and real customer insights mm-hmm. and do and be innovative even with those mechanisms and frameworks? Um, but of course, we we're helping to like chart, a, you know, a chart a new course in a mm-hmm. whole new space that is you know, kind of the wild, wild west in terms of like, what does it, what does this new relationship to personal finance and banking really look like? And then how do we, how do we position ourselves as like a real thought leader in that space? So it's really exciting just how much liberty we have in terms of defining those metrics and defining Mm -hmm. what impact means to us and, and using our, you know, and, and having our, our customers and our consumers kind of walk right along with us, Mm -hmm. you know, in that journey, it's, it's really exciting. Is the banking feature I've had Dave when they first kind of came out um, and I, and I know that they, um, they let people sign up to, mm-hmm. to hear about new, new products that may be coming through. So yeah, excited to see what's on the horizon. So just really quickly, cause I think it's important to sort of touch into this, you know, like mm-hmm. you had your experience in, in grad school where you, um, where you sort of learned about the aspects of where 
your career could go and that that ended up in social impact um and but you had chosen to be an entrepreneur prior to that um and it was a for hair products for black women mm-hmm. and i'm curious about that was it something at the time where so obviously we've established that you have had this persona where you want to help and give back um and was the other side of it um in an effort to start learning how to build capital like can you can you talk about that and sort of um what that was like for you that yeah. process <laughs> yeah, I mean, 100%. So when I started Hair to There, which is the name of my company, um, this was way back in like 20, I think I started messing around. I, I did a big chop, which is like okay. when you cut off all your hair in 2010. Um, and I very quickly, and this was a time, this was like kind of like before there's this huge proliferation of DIY videos on YouTube. There certainly weren't, you know, Target's uh, hair care aisle did not look like the way it does now. And mm-hmm. there just weren't a lot of products on the readily available on the market that really catered to like my hair type. And, and I think that was the, the, you know, a lot of black women with natural hair were facing that same thing. And so I went about kind of understanding how to build a product, you know, to, to kind of solve for that. And in the process, I, like I said, I, I, I don't come from wealth. Um, I was working in the nonprofit sector, so I was like woefully underemployed for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you think about bootstrapping, like that's, I'm like, so I give an extra $2 a week on like, you know, to build this business. Like, how do I do this? You know, what right. does this really look like? And so um, I, my biological dad actually passed away in 2014. So this mm-hmm. was after I had kind of started establishing the brand and started to think about like how to, how to build and, and sell this product. Mm-hmm. Um, and he happened to have life insurance. And so mm-hmm. he, I got a little bit of money, um, surprisingly, didn't even, didn't even think about it. We obviously wasn't expecting him to pass, of course, but also yeah. hadn't even thought about life insurance or what does that mean? And how do you, you know, how do you set your kids up so that they're not kind of like even more in debt after you pass and all that stuff. Um, and that's how I was able to really uh, pay off some credit card debt as well as invest a little bit of capital into this idea that I had for myself. And I, and I, I remember telling that story as so people would be like, how did you start? Like, how did you do it? I was like, yo, I just, I really just started. Like, I, I, there's no other elegant way to say it other than I was just like, let me just try. Let me just try right. to design this logo or let me just try to design these labels and let me fit, build this formulation. Um, but it was so crazy to me that the only way that I was able to, you know, really kind of catapult myself into um, really getting to a place where I was able to kind of at least see if this business was a viable business that I wanted to continue with was through capital that I got through a, through a life insurance payout. Like that's insane. Meanwhile, you know, I have, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. I have peers that were straight white men um, who were getting just, just, throw money thrown at them, you know, for ideas that weren't that great. And like, certainly didn't, you know, center audiences that had, you know, unapologetically center audiences that hadn't been centered before. So I just like couldn't understand like how this worked. And I was like, maybe there's something I'm missing. Like, what am I missing? What do I, what don't I know? Um, and how do I get the kind of business acumen to understand? Like, maybe I just don't understand, maybe I just don't know how to build a scale of business. And so, um, yeah, that was kind of the impetus to kind of go to business school, but yeah. And it, it, but it really was about, and, and, and quite to be perfectly honest, I I learned very quickly that I'm just, I'm not about the like consumer products life. Like I I was like, I don't want to keep mixing 
like shea butter in my kitchen. Like this is <laughs> not my ministry. But I, and I was also grateful that at the exact same time, there were women who that is their life's work. And they were doing such amazing jobs at like pushing that industry forward and unapologetically centering black women and making sure that we had a, we were reclaiming our natural hair. And it was just such a beautiful re, like surge of like black women who were owning a space that's inherently theirs. I'm like, Unilever and Procter and Gamble should not own this space, you know, that is about, you know, no one, no one else on the planet has hair like ours, you know, so we should be owning and moving that space forward in a really profound way. And we're really starting to see that. Um, So yeah, so it really was about like how to solve for this dearth of access, whether it was capital, access to social capital, to, to figure out how to build and scale a business, whether it was um, and also just an understanding of how, you know, I think the context at the time was very much grounded in um, black women hair care, because I thought that was such an interesting space that was so uniquely ours. But there's this idea of like, how do black women build businesses and build wealth for themselves and build wealth for their communities by grounding and unapologetically centering themselves. And that just right. to me was such a profound and disruptive and inherently like, innovative thing you know because because for so long i mean of course we've always had traditions of entrepreneurship we've always built like you know wealth for ourselves in these spaces but i thought that there was there was something interesting that was happening at that moment um and yeah and wanted to kind of explore what were the other ways that you know black women could could really carve out space for themselves yeah there's something that you said um a couple weeks ago that i just remembered um where you know, we were talking about how a lot of women right now, especially uh, with shelter in place, they're, you know, they're looking to transition into something that they're passionate about or make their side project, their main project. And I think one of the first things that comes into our minds is like, oh, is someone else already doing this? Like, is there, um, you know, like, is it going to be too much? And you said that, um especially for the black female community, you know, right now it's never going to be oversaturated. There's always going to be something for each of us. And I think that, um, you know, it just popped up as you were talking about this in my mind that I really, I'm glad you said it because I think anyone that's listening to this, I want to emphasize that, like you said, just get started, just try. Because one thing that I wish I knew when I was a kid is like, if you don't try, then then you have a 100% chance exactly. of not getting something. <laughs> exactly. Like you know? You not get it if you don't try. Yeah, yeah. The odds <laughs> are. <laughs> Versus a small percent chance that if you yeah. put effort in, that yeah. you, know, you may um, get something out of it. So yeah. I really do. You know, that, that story is, it's encouraging as much as it's sad, you know, that that yeah. is what... Um, allowed you to even yeah. stay afloat and you know cpg right. is kind of a bitch i'm gonna like yeah, no, gonna it is. i so. hate it unless i'm consuming it you know i'm a consumer right like, uh, you know. but I, I think that's such a good point too and um thank you for bringing up that really profound statement that i made. oh i'm kidding but i i do think that there's like i know you see the memes all the time it's like you know no one can do it you know you know don't think that just because there's 
other things on the market that, you know, you shouldn't start. And I think that's incredibly important because there is, you know, everyone is bringing a very unique uh, perspective to whatever space that they're in. And that's never stopped anybody else from, you know, like Wonder Bread was on the market and that didn't stop, you know, bread company X from coming on and be like, you know what, I'm gonna make some white bread too. You know, so it's like, mm-hmm, everybody, mm-hmm. you know, and you might have a, spe- a special sauce. Now, I do also think though, and one of the things that I'm really excited to see, and I'm so grateful to have um, women in my kind of personal circle and tribe that are really pioneering in spaces that, because I, I think it's, it's, it's incredibly important for Black women to build businesses that's, that center us. And that is, and I do think that those are inherently social enterprises because you're, you're disrupting a space that, that previously barred people from accessing wealth building opportunities through entrepreneurship. So that's inherently socially impactful, especially if you're hiring other folks from the community, all that sort of thing. But I also think that, you know, we tend to kind of build business in spaces that we're comfortable in, you know, whether it's consumer products or retail or, uh, you know, clothing brands and stuff like that. And it's all important. And I will literally buy, I get so caught up in the, like, the targeted ads on Instagram, they kept me every time. Like I'm literally <laughs> always wearing some sort of merch from some woman who's got this amazing brand on Instagram. So I love that. <laughs> I, I love it. I'm, I will always support. However, I'm really excited to see, you know, I have a, a good friend of mine and she's going to chuckle when she hears this because I'm always talking about her. Um, she's building this amazing company in the electric vehicle space, you know, because she has a background in EV. She's building a really disruptive um, company that like is basically at the intersections of, I don't want to spill too much because she's still kind of, um, you know, uh, grinding, but like, you know, like she's kind of still in um, stealth mode, but she's, you know, she's really taking the idea of workforce development, um, access to electric, you know, working electric vehicle charging stations um, and driving efficiencies for kind of all these stakeholders and combining that into a solution. And she's getting a lot of traction. And I'm like, amazing girl, you better be this woman who's unapologetically black, like fucking it up in a space that's really white, you know, like, (laughs) I love it. I like literally sing her praises every single time. And she like, she's like, she's so humble. And I'm like, girl, like, uh, uh, we gotta like bump it up, like keep it going. And I have like my best friend from literal first grade. Uh, she's also building this really innovative company in the STEM education space. And it's like, goes beyond traditional concepts of like, you know, uh, like ed tech. And it really is like basically like the Netflix of like STEM education for kids. And it's really blown up, especially now that we're in this kind of COVID era where parents are now all of a sudden teachers. And, you know, so anyway, she's building and grinding for so long. And it's like, she's got natural hair. She could have built a natural hair branch, her backgrounds in marketing and like, you know, all these things, but she saw an opportunity and she's, and it's hard because they don't ever want to give people chances. They don't want to give folks capital. She's, you know, certainly not raising the type of money that, you know, her white counterparts are because that's the name of the game, unfortunately, but I'm so impressed with the resilience. And I'm so impressed with like seeing black women that are taking up space in, you know, spaces that are, uh, you know, have really been, you know, where we, we've just been barred access from, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a, there's definitely a balance is like, you know, but if there's another STEM, you know, ed tech company coming on and she's, own, you know, run by a black woman, I'll be like, yes, y'all need to talk, you know? Yeah. So it's just like, there's some really awesome stuff that we should be doing in both the spaces that 
are, you know, comfortable for us that really uh, promote like, you know, and center ourselves in our community, but also we need to be building community in spaces that we've been traditionally barred from too. Wow. I mean, that goes above and beyond probably anything that I was just about to ask you because (laughs) (laughs) no, honestly, I mean, my, uh, before I even got into communications, like I was bio pre-med through and through and it was just hard being the only one. And some of us like when back in the day when we were studying, like there just wasn't all of that. I'm sure the support was there, but you just didn't hear about it. You didn't see it. And now it's loud. Now people are screaming like we want to see ourselves in these spaces where we have the knowledge, where we have the interest, where we have the capabilities and we don't want to be the ones holding ourselves back. So I think that is you know, that is a stuff that we need to keep hearing about. Like, yeah, yeah, I can't build an electric vehicle, but absolutely will I champion it. And and if I, (laughs) if I had the capital, I would support that. And that's the, I think that beautiful thing is there are, there are these hidden communities and like, you know, there's black investors, there's, you know, or even as I continue to have these conversations, I'm meeting amazing people like you that are, you know, becoming part of (laughs) part of what you know the circle that I realized that I need to build because I wasn't surrounding myself with people who understood my plight and who who also who frankly cared enough to want to put me in a position that lifted me up and and you know now we have with the internet and now we have that access now we have that visibility um yes um I I you know, I, a couple things. I think it's so, it's so, so, so important for us as women, as women of color, and specifically as Black women, to seek and build those communities for ourselves that are comprised of all kinds of Black, you know, all kinds of women who are, you know, I have my kind of like sister tribe. Uh, which also includes my like actual sisters um, is, you know, it ranges in age, you know, it ranges. I mean, I have friends that are um, really close friends of mine that are embarking on motherhood and, you know, marriage. And I'm like taking notes regularly, you know, just like every single day. I'm like, okay, how does this work? How does this work? How do you talk to your partner about this? What is this like? Um, And I think one of the things that I, I was actually just texting one of my best friends just before this about the fact that I wanted to bring up one of the things that we were just grappling with the other day, which is this idea that, you know, we are truly living in like different times now. Like, you know, and I think there's a lot of ways in which I'm unlearning some of the sensibilities and the norms and the constructs of my parents' generation, right? And like, you know, my parents are right on the cusp of like, they're like the youngest boomers and the oldest Gen Xers. And so they had, a, they just have a different life. They had a different life and they came up in a different time. And one of the things that, you know, some of the work that I'm doing is really thinking about, you know, how do I create space where I can be vulnerable and truly honest with my peers, with like my mentees, with folks that I'm, you know, my mentors about like what I'm really going through and where I'm really at, because I don't, it, it does none of nobody any good for me to be like, yeah, everything's perfect. I know everything. I have it all figured out and everything's great. And when I'm like, ah, like what does adulting mean? And how do I, you know, like, what is any, like I'm literally building this plane while I'm flying it 
in probably every facet of my life. And, I, and that's okay. Like it, I don't have to be this like beacon of perfection. Like I don't have to be, I don't have to know every single thing. I have opinions on a lot of things and I probably insert my opinion too much, but I, you know, I, I like it, it does me, it does our, it, we do injustice by, you know, putting on these, um, you know, mass with each other. And so like the more that we can create space for each other where we can truly be authentic and honest and, and practice in safe spaces so that when we go out into the rest of the world, we, we've done it before. We don't have to like be like, oh my gosh, in this white space, this is the first time I'm learning, I'm, you know, uh, experimenting with like truly showing up authentically. Like, nah, I've done that in my group chat every single night for the last five years, you know, of my life, you know, or in my group FaceTimes or whatever the case is. Um, and then the other piece of that is we are so uniquely positioned in this time, even though we're experiencing so many unprecedented things that we truly are trying to figure out in real time how to manage a global pandemic, you know, one of probably one of the biggest, you know, civil rights uh, moments in our you know, generation and, and this idea that we might be able to truly shape, you know, what the world looks like on the other side of this, we have to be comfortable with like divesting from and decoupling some of these things that have been, that have just become norms. And so one example is, you know, when we think about, I tend to have these conceptions of like marriage being an institution that equates to financial stability but I'm 33 and I'm single, I'm not married. So I have to understand what a new conception of financial stability based on one person looks like. And I have to start thinking about how does that actually come into play in my real life? And I have to be okay with that. And I have to like situate myself in that reality. I can't, you know, a lot of friends of mine have been decoupling this concept of like, you know, motherhood or parenthood with like a spouse or a partner, you know, like, so like, what does that mean for someone if you want kids, but you aren't really, you're like, you know, I don't really want to be married, you know? And so like, you know, or things like the concept of safety and home with the idea of home ownership. I'm like, how are people buying homes in Los Angeles? This doesn't even make sense. So I have to figure out what home and safety and stability means if I'm renting in perpetuity, you know? So it's like these ideas that we've been inundated with. And that doesn't even start to talk about, you know, how we're divesting from concepts of you know, white supremacy and classism and colorism and all the things and, you know, patriarchy and misogyny and all the, all the things. But I think it's really important that we all do that work and we create spaces where we can do that safely, you know, but also be challenged and be held accountable. So, um, yeah, I, I would definitely, you know, we, we are not in the eighties anymore. <laughs> like I don't have a pension. People need to be understanding, like, how do you retire when you've been a gig economy worker your whole entire adult life? <laughs> like, how does that work? Right. I don't know. And so we have right. to really be thoughtful about what the true realities of our lives are, how to build community so that we can mm -hmm. continue to foster the imagination that it actually is going to take to create that new version of, you know, the world post, you know, 2020, basically. Right. Wow. I mean, honestly, this is, been illuminating for me, you know, even though we've spoken before. And I think the one thing that I've gathered every time we speak is that there, we could go deeply into each of these topics for, for days and days. And yeah. that just proves that all of this truly is a process. Um, and I, I love what you said, you know, um, building, building this plane as you're flying it. And um, yeah. I think we all need to sort of let go of some of our, our pre-expectations yeah. of ourselves and that, um, you know, feigned 
uh, idea of of perfectionism so that we yeah. can just at least get the ball moving in the direction that we we hope for it to go and um and i and i love that you're such a great example for that and um and i and i'm sure the listeners will will agree with me so thank you so much for joining me thank you so much for having me it's always such a pleasure i like live for these conversations and i'm excited that we were able to um be able to have this conversation for other people to enjoy as well so thank you for doing this and for all you're doing and yeah this is awesome thank you so much again for joining me here on mars if you are interested in leaving earth and becoming a martian please feel free to subscribe to us you can find our podcast on onlyblackgirlonmars.com backslash podcast and in the show notes in a very special take Lauren has shared with me a full list of women that she really supports and she would recommend that you can find via Instagram. So I've put a list of their names and a brief description um, where you can find that um, in the drop down. And if you want to learn more about Dave, I've also put a link to their um, to their app and what their institution is all about. This has been such an incredible episode and we couldn't be here without you. So we really welcome your support and just really hope that you enjoy what we're doing here. So don't be shy. Feel free to send me a message if you have any questions or comments and we'll see you next time. Bye.